You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and we have a great guest on today's episode. Before we get to that, though, hey, Rusty, how's it going? Fantastic, Rick, and you? We, I'm fine, although I'm going stir-crazy because we have this whole COVID-19 thing going on, and it, <laughs> it's hard, hardly had an effect on the show, but last two or three weeks we've had to uh, you know, do some, not throwaway shows, but some greatest hits type things. And mm-hmm. In any case, I'm very excited about our guest. He is a session drummer of the highest order. He's played with just about everybody. I'm really excited about talking to him about his career. I'm talking about Ronnie Zito. Ronnie, welcome to the Rick Z Show. Oh, hey, Rick. Thank you. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you on the show. And by the way, you're our first guest via the telephone since the COVID virus hit. And how are you doing? Good. So we're, we're hanging in. You know, we're okay. We're, we're, we're following the guidelines. <laughs> Glad to hear it. We're doing yeah. fine here, too. You have such an extensive career that just to keep it all straight in my head, I have to do some loose timeline. So we're going to go all yeah. the way back to the beginning. We're okay. going to talk about your... Oh, by the way, where in New Jersey do you live? I know you're in Jersey. I, I'm in Oradell, New Jersey. Oradell. Yeah, north. North Jersey. But that's not where yeah. you're from. You're from New York State. No, actually, I'm born in Utica, New York, upstate New York, Utica, New York, and I used to work a lot in Syracuse, too. You in know? Syracuse? Yeah. And I would commute, you know, different, you know, it's only like 60 miles from Utica, you know. Yeah, and not too terribly far from where we sit right now. Let me ask you about Utica. By the time yeah. you were old enough to play music... Were you playing yeah. around some kind of a club scene in that area, Syracuse, Utica? I mean, you would have been... Oh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. When was this, exactly? My brothers are musicians, and my father was a musician. And I, there was always music around the house, you know. I mean, I'm, from when I was little, I was the youngest. And uh, there, there was always... you know, Somebody was always playing. My brothers or my father, there were... You know, there would be uh, duets and string quartets once in a while, you know. And uh, so I was I was around music. I started playing, like, uh, professionally, kind of. I mean, my first jobs where I got paid were, like, I was, like, 15, you know, 16 well, years old. Now, when was this exactly? Uh, oh, uh... Late 50s? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what was the club scene like in that area at that time? Well, I was involved in the jazz thing, really. And also rhythm and blues. There was a rhythm and blues band I played in. You know, it was like before rock and roll, kind of. Yeah. You know? So we would work different jobs in different different places. Like in Utica, there would be two, three clubs that there were, ju- there were like jazz clubs, really. Or rhythm and blues, you know where people could dance, and that's the way Utica was. And then I started uh, playing in uh, Syracuse with some, some good jazz players in Syracuse. And that was more, that was even more active than Utica, you know, it was a little bigger town. And, uh, you know, especially with the college and everything. Yeah. And then actually, I was offered a job in a place called Three Rivers Inn, which was outside of uh, Syracuse. And I took the job, but it was a job where you had to play shows, you know? But the piano player, the leader, was a real good jazz player. And and I really had no experience playing shows. I mean, I was like 18 or 19 then. But the leader, the piano player, he wanted me on the job because he liked to play jazz in between. 
and he liked my my jazz playing, so he hired me. And I literally, I was there for like, I'm going way ahead now, Rick. Uh, I was there for like about about a year and a half, a year and a half, and I got a lot of experience there. They they used to they used to bring in name acts, you know. I mean, Sammy Davis was working there, and uh, Nat King Cole, and uh, and then uh, I'm going ahead now to Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren came in, and I played for him. A lot of people had their own drummers, but when he came in, he didn't, and I worked with him for about two weeks there. And then he offered me the job. He wanted me to be his drummer. I heard you made your first recording at 17. What were the circumstances surrounding that? I was uh, working with a, a collegiate jazz group. We won a contest. This was before I, I went into, uh, before I went into that job at, in Syracuse. It was the Reese Markowitz Quintet. And it was a bunch of college guys. I was the youngest. So we won a contest, that's what it was, yeah. And the prize was to go to New York, play a week at the Cafe Bohemia, and do an album. That's what our, our prize was. Do you remember that, the session that you did? Yeah, yeah, sure. And some of the guys, Nick Brignola, great baritone player, was in the band. But we were all real young, you know. And Reese Markowitz was the leader. Do you, you know? still have the record? Yeah, I do. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's. I I I think I have it in final. Yeah. To be a session guy, you've got to not only be really good, but you've got to find some ways to break into that business. How did you get into being a session person? Was it a series? Well, you know, it was really when I was with Bobby Darren. I was with him for four years. And I did some of his records. He he wanted me on his, some of his records. So that's how I kind of started. And then my brother Tori, who's a real good writer, music writer, ranger, who's passed away, uh, I worked with him somewhat in New York when I was in New York. But I was in and out of New York because I was traveling with Bobby. Anyway, that's that's... That's how that came about. Are you a schooled player, Ronnie? Do you have a degree uh, in this? Y- you know, you know that's that's a good question. I always say, boy, I wish I went to music school or something to this day. But I got so much experience on the road and playing with different people. You know, I worked with Peggy Lee for a while, Andy Williams. Lionel Hampton. Lionel. Well, I did a record day with Lionel Hampton uh, with uh, uh, Chief Tommy Flanagan and... Uh, Bucky Pizzarelli was on it. A lot of greats. Milt Hitton, you know, really good, good players. Well, this was your college. That it was. That was it, man. It was like, it was like every time I played, I would learn something. You know. Well, you, you were know, playing so. with legends. That that doesn't hurt. Like well, that's this. the thing, man. Yeah, yeah. You, you played with like, Herb Ellis too, right? Uh, yes, yeah, I did. One of the greats. With, with with Victor Feldman, uh, got me on that date. Yeah. I'm particularly interested in your work with Woody Herman. How did that come about? He's one of my favorite jazz clarinetists. That's a funny thing. I was working with Paul Anka in Vegas, and I get a call. And uh, I got a call from Nat Pierce, who was like in charge of, uh, kind of like the manager of the band, but he's the piano player. And he asked me if I could come out just for a little while with Woody for maybe... I don't know, six weeks or five weeks. And I didn't want to go. 
I, I really did. I, it was like I, I had a good job with Paul Anka at the time. I was making good money with him. And I said, oh, I don't know. And this trumpet player, older trumpet player, said, I got to talk to you. I, I want to have a cup of coffee with you in between shows, okay? So we're sitting there, and he says, if you don't go with Woody Herman's band, you're going to re regret it for the rest of your life. Wow. You know? So uh, I said, oh, geez, I don't know. Just one-nighters, man, I'll be on a bus. He said, I don't care, man. you got to do it. You, you have to do it. Take that job. He says, you could always do this. You could always do this, play for a singer or something. He said, but you can't always play with Woody Herman's band. So I called and I took the job. Like on a Thursday night, and I started on a, I started on Friday. You know. Wow. And, and my first job with Woody was at Berkeley in California. A huge job for him. Woody had great following there. You know, at that school. So what I remember was we get to the job, we set up everything, set up. And I said to Woody about 20 minutes before we started, or maybe half an hour, I said, Woody, do you want to go over some music with me? You want to go over some endings and things like that? Because I can read. And uh, Woody says, no, 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 none of that. He says, you just, you just, man. He says, I'm going to count off the band and you just come in swinging. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Good old-fashioned trust. I said, are you sure? He says, oh, yes, I'm definitely. You just come in swinging, man. We know the music. He says, you just do what you can, you know. <laughs> I said, oh, my God. He, I mean, he took he took a lot of pressure off of me by, by telling me that. I said, oh, wow. For some drummers, that would be putting a lot of pressure on them, you know. <laughs> to, well, well, it would, it's a funny thing. It was It was a combination of things. You know, he took the pressure off, but I, I was still very concerned. And, uh, man, we started playing, and when those trumpets hit, those five trumpets behind me, my my hair stood up, man. It was like, pow, you know. So Bill Chase says to me, hey, Ronnie, just before we started, he goes, play as loud and as fast as you can. <laughs> I said, thing to tell me you know but anyway that's that's the way i started with woody so i after about five weeks i said oh, i guess i'm done he said oh no no i want you to stay with the band and how long did you so end I, up working with him uh, about two years about two years and i did about five albums with him and you also played with him on the ed sullivan show oh yeah yeah that's a very, very classic venue, to say the least, when you think of all the great artists that went on and the influence that they oh. they had on television. I'm sure that yeah. wasn't lost on you even at the time. No, no. I'll tell you what, why don't we take a listen to that right now?
when you play with pop artists, do you need to put on the the pop hat, sort of speak, and switch modes? I mean, how easy yeah. is that for you to, to jump from one genre well, to another? Well, at that time, like in the 70s, like I was really busy in the studios in the 70s. And that's when everything was happening. I, I was playing a lot of that music, you know, with a lot of pop players, you know, that because of the guys that were in the studios, a lot of the young guys, we were, we were all transitioning at that time. We were sort of like getting into playing that way. And, and you know, we approached everything that way. And, 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 and recordings, like if you went in on a, on a jingle or a commercial, everything was kind of like they, we were doing funk and stuff like that. And we were playing that way, kind of, you know. And I was like, I, I embraced it. You know, I loved a lot of the players, man. Like, you know, the James Brown uh, band, and uh, we were listening to all that stuff. The did Michael it, Jackson. Did it broaden your style to to play yeah, this way? Yeah, uh, it, it did, man. It did. Uh, I must say, actually, it broadened my jazz playing too. Hmm. You know, because uh, I was playing uh, more uh, uh, independence. You know, independent stuff. Yeah. You know? limbs when i sat down to play jazz which was my home base it was like oh yeah this is this i know what to do with this you know going back to your question about putting on a different hat and all that you did have to do that i mean when 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 i walked into a commercial date i would i'd listen to the music and I'd, i'd figure out what the groove was and play that groove but a lot, of course, a lot of guys had, there was one guy I worked with that wrote everything out, man. He wrote out the hands, the feet, you know, and that was challenging. It was like, wow, you know, and I, I had to read it like he wanted it. A lot of stuff might be hits with a film. Yeah, that's that, that was quite a thing. I'd like our listeners to know some of the pop artists that you worked with over the years. Uh, you mentioned Bobby Darren. We're going to get to that later. Okay. But some of the things that spring to mind, Eartha Kitt is one of them, the enigmatic oh, Eartha I Kitt. Jeez, I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, you played on one of her albums, Back to Business. Yeah, yeah. Is that the name of it? Yeah, Back to Business. <laughs> I don't even know. That's right. You are a true session player. I, I've talked to other session players, and, and they don't remember all the things they did. because. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't remember it. They've yeah. done so much. You've done so much. Frankie well, Valley. Frankie Valley. Yeah, Frankie Valley. Yeah, yeah, swear he, to God. He's another one, and Irene Cara springs to mind as well. Everyone Can See is the name of the album. Uh, Irene Cara, didn't she have a, did she have a television show? I don't know if she had a television uh-huh. show. I know there was a TV show made out of the movie Fame that she was in. Uh, oh, she, oh. she may have been in the show. I don't really remember. I don't even remember that. She had a lot of big hits, I know that, but not necessarily off of that album. The reason why I bring it up is there were a lot of big session people on this album. You yeah. being one of them, Paul Schaefer, Hugh McCracken, I mean, it's a right. long, long oh, list. Yeah. What kind of camaraderie was there between you and other session people when you do records like this? Granted, they, they weren't all in the studio at the same time, I realize, but you must have yeah. had some kind of a a relationship accumulating people that you know in the same field. Oh, yeah, we, we did. I mean, that's why, I mean, I wound up, you know, working with Barry Manilow, too, uh, and through Paul, you know, Paul Schaefer, and a producer, a, a singer that 
that I used to work with. He was he was Barry Manilow's producer. Well, let's talk about so, Barry Manilow for a second, if we could, because yeah. It reminds me of my childhood. I listened to a lot of Barry Manilow. I mean, they were my sister Debbie's records, but oh yeah, our rooms were right next to each other, so I, I got inundated with Barry Manilow, and I, <laughs> I grew to love him. It wasn't oh, so yeah. cool to admit it at the time. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> but I always respected him as a singer and a songwriter. Yeah, good musician, man. You're on the Even Now album, which I loved. Yeah, yeah. You're also on Can't Smile Without You and, and many other yeah, yeah. hits. The one that intrigues and, me the most is Copacabana because it's so iconic, particularly yeah. the drums. Do, do you remember yeah. laying that down? Yeah, sure. That was in California. We did that in California. Did you have any uh, idea uh, what an enduring classic well, it well, was? Well, it's weird. We had no music and Barry, you know, there, were, there wasn't anything really written out, you know, beats or anything like that. He would just stand at the piano and he and he starts singing he'd say this is kind of like uh listen to this man you know like like and he started playing the piano and starts singing the tune you know and and we would just kind of like he said but this is like it's it's latin but it's not it's more disco with you know in between we talk about it and and uh and that's how that came about, because we would just start playing with him. You, you know? just make it up in the studio uh, well, right there. Well, for that, we did. That that really worked. I mean, everything wasn't like that. Like, I mean, Swear to God was, was you know, the band arrangement. There's a big band on it. Right. And that was that was all written out, you know, the hits. But um, the, the groove, we, we knew what that was, you know, when we heard it. You yeah. Know? But the guys, we were all like... Uh, plugged into each other, you know, the musicians. We we all knew each other's playing and and it was it was it was fun, man. When it was happening, you, you I mean you, you can't deny it. It was it was fun. Were you surprised at the success of Copacabana? Oh yeah, yeah, I was like <laughs> I couldn't believe it, you know, it was, and, and it's funny, you know, like uh, I was doing a Broadway show for years. I've been doing it in Chicago and uh, somebody told couple of the dancers, the guys, especially the guys, oh, Ronnie's on Copacabana, and they would make a big fuss. You oh, know? yeah. Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, my God, you were? You know? <laughs> I said, yeah, well, that was a long time ago. Well, that's anyway. it. Now, now I've got to play it. I'm going to play Copacabana. <laughs> this is the great Copacabana by the great Barry Manilow, yeah. and on drums, the great Ron Zito. Check this out. Uh -huh. Music and power. 
His name was Rico. He wore a diamond. He was escorted to his chair. He saw Lola dancing there, and when she finished, he called her over. But Rico went a bit too far. Tony sailed across the bar, and then the punches flew, and chairs were smashed in two. There was blood and a single gunshot, but just who shot who at the Copa? Copa Cabana. with Roberta Flack. Uh, yeah, I, I do. She made I that do. great album, Feel Like Making Love. Yeah, yeah. She produced that album, Ronnie. What was that like? I mean... I don't think... I, where, I, I don't know if I was on that album. No, that was Idris, right? Idris Silliman, a dr- great drummer. I thought it. Uh, I thought this was the album that you were on. I, I don't know. There's a, I, I'm playing on a couple ballads. Yeah. No, no, I, I know. I feel like making love, but that's a Dries Suleiman. When you're in the studio, are you listening, are you taking your direction from the artist or from the producer? Oh, both, man. Both. both. Yeah. Both. And how about... I mean, you know, I mean, it's got to go past the, 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 the artist, you know, what they're asking for. Of course, you know, the artist has the last say, really. You know, especially when it's a big name, man. If it's somebody who's just starting out, uh, that's different. But if they're they're a big name, the producers pretty much listen to the artist. Yeah, I know. Refer- Roberta Flack has 
produced a lot of her own material. Is it different when the yeah. artist is also the producer, or does that not make a difference? Yeah, I think it's di- I think it's different. Yeah. In what way? See, when when they're the producer and the artist, the the producer that's in the booth just kind of agrees with them. You know, it's like it says, "Oh yeah, okay, if you feel good about that, oh sure, well let's do let's do another take." You know, that's about all their job involves. You know, I mean they. They're kind of agreeable with the, with the artist, you know. Yeah. Especially when they're a big name, you know. I would think so. Yeah, a lot you know? a lot of producers would. I mean, if they're smart, if they're smart, <laughs> they'll do that. But I mean, uh, there were people like uh, remember Teo Macero. Teo Macero, yeah. Teo Macero, he was pretty cool, man. He was. I did this album with Bobby Scott. I don't know. You remember Bobby Scott? I've heard the name. Uh, uh, he's a, he's a, he was a piano player. Uh, great singer, uh, odd style, uh, but great talent. And Teal produced that, and it's really a good album, man. Great tunes, and it was just a quartet. It was me, Bucky Pizzarelli, let's see, who's Steve Lespino, great bass player. And Bobby played piano, Bobby Scott. And I also worked with Bobby Scott with Bobby Darren. Bobby Darren used him for a while. Well, let's talk about Bobby Darren in your long roster of names. His came up a lot. I'd like to focus yeah. on him for a second. But, of course, I can't because we're out of time. So I want to ask you, okay. I mean, you have such an extensive career. We can't fit it all in one show. Would you be willing to do this all again next week and maybe continue this conversation? Oh, sure. That would be good. Thank you so much. That would be good. You've been listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Rusty Johnson. Click subscribe, people. We need more subscribers. Who doesn't like followers? Click away. And don't forget to come back next week for part two of our interview with Ronnie Zito.